We've had a lot of excitement so far in our first few weeks of our journey through the Gospel of Luke. Just a reminder that we started in chapter 3 and we're saving the first two chapters, the birth narrative, for uh, Advent this season. So you can look forward to that. But already then this whole thing kicked off with a crazy man coming out of the wilderness proclaiming uh, this new kingdom. And we had the voice of God come out of heaven. We saw Jesus have a uh, one-on-one duel with the devil in the wilderness. And now last week, then Jesus, um, when he began his teaching ministry, he both taught with power. People initially liked him and he, on his own initiative, offended everybody uh, so that he almost got killed. Um, And then he left, had to leave town and go, go on his road, take the ministry elsewhere. And so that's where we're picking up here with Jesus, is that he is on the road. He's actually working out uh, what he is preaching now in practice. Uh, He is uh, tangibly serving uh, right in the middle of his ministry. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 31, and read through the end of the chapter in verse 44. This is God's word. And when Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he understood, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray for us. Father, humbly ask that you would teach us from your word this morning. Be with my words, make them true. Um, and humble and loving and kind, and send your spirit to open up all of our hearts that we indeed would receive and be able to respond to your word in the way you would have us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As we get started, I want to draw your attention to this reflection quote on the front of the worship folder that I ripped out of a paragraph. Uh, This is a guy named Daryl Bach. He's a commentator. He said, Tragic, the stories about Jesus tend not to strike us as fresh events because they are so well known. But to read the story as Luke wishes it to be experienced, one must read it as a fresh account. 
The reader is to identify with the characters in the account and sense their reaction and amazement. It is the freshness and the variety of miraculous activity that give the story its emotional power. I think that's an interesting quote. And what I'm about to say, I don't think it's a bad quote. Uh, I just think it brings up an issue for many of us as we approach uh, stories like this in the Bible, particularly if you have read them often and if you're familiar with the things that Jesus does. Uh, We're here, we're reading about Jesus doing miraculous things, um, that he's able to, just with a word, cast out demons. He's able to heal people with just a word. Um, So some really cool stuff. And yet there's also a sense when we read it that how we have this question, how does this really apply to me uh, today in this time? Like, this is something that Jesus did in the past uh, when he was here, um, and it demonstrates his power for sure. It demonstrates that his, what he is about is about uh, the preached word and also physical things, that those aren't different. They're all in his scope. It says all those things, but it also leaves us wondering that what, what can we expect out of this? You know, what, what is, how is this going to have a practical bearing now that Jesus has gone uh, to be uh, with God in heaven? And that's, that's one of the main questions I had um, when I was thinking about this passage this morning. And it, it is genuinely difficult to, wi- to will ourselves to go back and make this um, fresh and startling in some way. But I think as we look into it, there's actually a tremendous amount of um, practical and relatable stuff um, that has great bearing on our lives now. And it is all wrapped up in this idea of the kingdom of God. If you flip over and look at verse 43, then Jesus is summarizing what he has just been doing. And he is all putting it all under this heading of, of what he is up to, that he has to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, uh, for he was sent Uh, for this purpose. And so both his commanding of demons, his healing, and his preaching all fall under uh, this umbrella. And in order to understand uh, those aspects and these healings, we need to understand what he means about the kingdom of God. And that's the main thing I want to zero in. I'm going to go there and use that uh, to get to the other things. And so the points I want us to look in here is essentially a definition of what this means. Uh, What is the kingdom of God according to this passage? And there's three things, I think, is that the kingdom of God is God's power exerted in God's place uh, through God's uh, through and with God's participants. So power, place, and participants. And so I'm going to use that definition uh, to kind of to unpack this uh, and hopefully show how this passage is uh, relevant to us now. So that being said, let's go and look at the first um, the first point: uh, God's power. If you'll see here, we start off. In the very first place, and Jesus is in um, Capernaum. He's on the road in Galilee. And as as he was teaching, then he comes across this guy uh, who has um, the spirit of an unclean unclean demon inside of him. Um, And just as a side, Adam made this point when he preached on um, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness that there is such a thing as um, a personal evil um, that is a real thing. And that, if I had to guess, that's not the main thing that you came in here this morning worried about and are relieved that Jesus has power over. Uh, But if you were in a different part of the world, then uh, you very well might. Um, I remember had a a missions professor one time who was from Africa who said that it was this who actually brought him to the faith 
because the fact that Jesus had authority over demons was completely life-changing uh, to his worldview. And so that's, that is just a check for us as we read this, is that we are reading it from a time and place with our own um, expectations. But that being said, so Jesus is actually is interacting here with um, real spiritual powers. Uh, but what happens here is that this demon recognizes him. He knows who he is. Um, and in a curious way, look at verse 34. He says, uh, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And you see he is using the plural us here in both points as kind of curious. And people have proposed a couple things. That it could be that this was a host of demons inside this guy. Some people have guessed that this, he's talking about the demon and the guy, like the human himself is talking about. But I think that um, I think that this is what it means. And if you put it in context of what Luke is talking about, then I'm sure that it's I'm sure that it's true. Uh, what what he, he is saying here is that when Jesus is, comes on the scene, he actually is demonstrating that he has power over this demon, and the fact that he has power over this demon has effects that go far beyond just this individual demon. That there is a new sheriff in town, as it were. There is a new king, there is a new power that, that has come, that there is no power that exists outside of him that has authority over him. There is a new supreme power who has come to the earth um, and is now in charge. And so what this demon actually picks up on is that if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is here, then it means that there is a changing of the guard, that the old age is passing away, and there's a new age uh, that is coming. There's a changeover of a kingdom that is in place, that the powers of the old kingdom, whatever they are, um, are no longer in power anymore, that their power is falling apart, it's cracking, and there's a new power here. And just to illustrate, this reminds me of, um, many of you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, by C.S. Lewis. Uh, which is a great book. If you have not read it, you should get on it and, uh, because it really is a great book. Um, but in there, there's a scene where the Narnia, the magical land, is covered in snow, and the evil witch Jadis has um, a prisoner, and they are riding in a sleigh uh, through the woods. And the snow, which was part of her curse, it starts melting all around them. And they start to hear birds, they start to hear chirping, they have signs of life again that have not been there in a long, long time. And the reason that is the case, because Aslan, the God figure in the book, this big lion, has come. And so now, Jadis is still here, she still has all of her henchmen, she is still waging, in some ways, a war against what is good. But all of the signs around show that this, ultimately, this power has been broken. That the old kingdom is no longer the primary kingdom. There is a new king in town and that the power has been replaced. This is a pretty big effect that's going on that extends far beyond just this one miraculous act of Jesus being able to, um, to call out a demon and tell him to leave. And it goes on from there. If we look at the next uh, miracle... Um, that happens, you know, if it too, seems too theoretical to talk about casting out of demons, um, then we go down here and we find that Simon's mother-in-law is ill with a really high fever. 
Um, so she was in, a, not, in a, a very terrible position. And Jesus, look at what he says in 39. Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So he's, in, he says that he rebuked the fever. It's almost like there's a parallel in between what he did with uh, the demon and what he's doing here with the fever. And that doesn't necessarily mean that um, the casting out of the fever is the same as casting out a demon. Said another way that there was some kind of a spiritual power behind the fever. But there is a connection between what Jesus is up to. And that the signaling that the old powers have been defeated, they're overthrown, that Jesus has power over those things. He also has power however far that evil has effects. As the hymn says, that he has power as far as the curse is found in every place. And so it doesn't just stay at the spiritual realm. That Jesus has come and his kingdom has come. His authority and his power has power over the top. And it has power all the way over down to the bottom. That this king, this power um, is big enough and it is strong enough to make everything new as far as everything is broken. And why does that matter to us today? Why does it matter that um, in this first step of God's kingdom coming about, that this that God's power has come in the form of Jesus? And it doesn't necessarily mean I think we know that if you know if we pray the right things, if we hold our tongue the right way, hold the right posture, um, if we do it earnestly enough, that there's some formula that is going to make right everything that ails us. And that everything is going to be fixed um, in this moment. I think we all know that. But it does mean that there is not one thing that affects you or that affects me that Jesus does not have absolute authority over even today. There is not one area of your life or this world that is broken that is beyond the reach of God's power and his authority. And you all know what it is like. Many of you know what it is like to get a diagnosis that is really tough. Every one of you knows what it is like to go through a worldwide pandemic. I find a little bit of irony talking about Jesus' healing while we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know what it is like to have broken relationships and marriages and all of these things. And those are tough. They weigh on our souls and they bring us down. And we don't always get to know what, how God is going to exert his power and how he is going to weave that story into his bigger story. But it does mean that all of those things ultimately serve him. There is not one thing that does not obey Jesus, who he is, and that does not obey his plans of what he has come to do. So that's the first stage here, that this is the first stop of God, step of God's kingdom is that this is God's power, that God's power has come in the form of Jesus. But then we're, if we camp on that and we go forward, the inevitable question is, well then, if he has authority over everything now, why doesn't he use it to just make everything right, right now? Uh, why are we left in the waiting period? Um, and why do we read about these miraculous things when Jesus was here? And we don't see much evidence of them now in our day. And this is a little bit of a leap, but I think we have a similar similar emotional thing here when we look at uh, the response of the people. That Jesus, um, he has spent, notice that he started healing people when the sun was setting. 
And they, when it was day, he left. Like, the guy stayed up all night um, healing people, serving people, uh, making people well, anybody that came. But then Jesus says something surprising um, that when it became day, verse 42, he departed and went into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so there's a, there's a little bit of a sense of loss here, I think, that we can relate to. And that the one who demonstrated his power to heal, to make things right, also at a point said, it's not time yet for everything to be made right. I need to go somewhere else. That there are more people in more places that I came to serve, and it is not just here in this one place. And this is the second point, that the kingdom of God is God's power exerted in God's place. It is not just one particular place, but it is in all places. And there's a, there's a piece of good news here. We, we, there, there is an inevitable tension there of that, why does God do what he do? Why does he wait? And there's a part of it that, um, that Jesus, in this period, before he comes to make everything right, he is on this business of preaching the kingdom, of bringing good news and bringing people to himself. And so that it is God's patience with people is the reason for his delay. But as we struggle with that, and we notice that there's a sense of loss here because we just, we really wish uh, that he would make everything right, uh, right now. And yet, what Jesus has done is that he is the seeking king who is going out to every place in his whole creation. He is, because of that, is how he came to us. Because he did not stay in one place, but he went out. And we, like right now, we are way over the ocean at a faraway place from where Jesus was doing ministry, even a different time. Jesus sought. He sought those who were lost. He went into all the places to, re- to reclaim his people. And this is the reason why you and I were here. It is because of his mercy that, to all people that he did this. But as we recognize that, we also have to recognize that As we are drawn up into Christ, we are drawn up into something, a movement that is much, much bigger than us right here in our place. Our place is one small place uh, in the middle of the broad of everywhere that the king owns, everywhere where he exerts his power. And so there is this dynamic movement nature of what Jesus is up to, of spreading out going to the dark places, continually calling people in so that more and more and more can know the good news about Jesus. And I just want to say about this, this we could take this and we could say a few things that might sound very spiritual, uh, which I, I don't think that they would be right. We could say something like, it's not about you, it's about Jesus and what he is up to, which is a partial truth. We could even say things like, what really matters is not um, the, the problems that you have in your own life as other people come to know Jesus, which is, again, is a partial truth. But I think about if we, if we think about what Jesus is doing in terms of love, then it is much more simple. It is about you. Jesus did this because of you, because you were lost. He came to you to extend you his love. It is about you very much. But it is about something much more than that as well. His kingdom is not confined to one little place, but it goes out to all places.
And this is one of the reasons, just in, in the vision language of what, you know, the, on your worship folder of Red Mountain's vision, where we say that this is for all the people and places of Birmingham. Because there is not one corner of the city um, that it does not belong to Christ, of his kingdom. And we have known here that it can be very, very easy for us uh, to be recipients of the good news and to enjoy it and coexist uh, with other people who we don't even know they're there, who are very different from us and have um, much different challenges than we do. So receiving the ministry of God in God's place also brings our attention to the other places of where God is on the move and what he is up to. And that is both local and it is also global. So what's our part to play here? That's, so God's kingdom, if it's God's power exerted in God's place, um, what about us? And I think it is right that we see here and start that there is one primary agent who is on the move here and it is not us. All of this so far has been about Jesus and what he is accomplishing. It's about God doing something through his anointed one, his son, in bringing people to himself and bringing restoration. But that doesn't mean... That this is something where we sit back and we don't have a part to play and that we just wait to see what's going to happen. I want to draw your attention to one verse here um, uh, that really stands out. And this is going to be just a hint of what's coming um, as Luke is going to unpack later in the book. Look at uh, Simon's mother-in-law in that little paragraph. Uh, and Jesus healed her. Jesus, he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately, what does she do? She rose and began to serve them. So what is the absence of sickness uh, in her life? It's not just this neutral situation of health, but it is actually having the faculties and the joy of being healed to, healed to be able to serve. And there is a the proper functioning of God's kingdom. That God's kingdom is, is his power exerted um, in his place. But it's also about his rule being extended um, through his people. And so that the way that you and I participate in this kingdom, as we are humbled by God, as we are brought to him, as we are molded by him, and as we exist in our place as his representatives, uh, operating according to his ways, that this is God's rule coming to bear. Um, it's coming to bear here in this church and it's coming to bear even in this city through his people that he is at work in. And so it is very, very, um, our part to play in here is, is a very uh, relevant thing. So that's, that's kind of looking at it from a theological ang- angle. But I want to try to bring this um, home and think, think about it a little bit from more of an emotional, practical angle. I don't know the word to put for it. Um, think about this. Uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, one of my favorite movies we watch every year. Uh, you can tell by my illustrations there are only a very few movies that I regularly watch. But th- think about what happens to Scrooge in the end of this movie if you've seen it. So he has spent his whole life a miser, uh, that he is just hoarding money to himself. Um, he is a part of a dysfunctional economic system where he's oppressing the poor um, and he is brought to see by three spirits the error of his ways but what is the effect of that at the end of the movie when he realizes this and when he gets another chance 
he doesn't just stop doing what he is doing, but he starts a long parade where he is accumulating the people that he has wronged in the past and he is giving gifts and he is extending joy everywhere he goes. And the whole procession ends at Bob Cratchit's house um, and there's a big feast and there's a big party. And I think for me in looking at this, what this illustrates is that the effect that Jesus' kingdom has on us um, is ultimately we see it happening through service. And that service um, and uh, self, selfless kind of service is actually the evidence that uh, Jesus is actually working in our hearts. But as that sounds like drudgery, that service is actually the freedom, that this is the absence of all of those things that we used to hang on to and they used to have us in captivity. If you think about it in terms of marriage, um, the battle over who's going to file the dishes away, uh, who's going to take the trash out, is not really freedom and it's not really fun. But where there is service and where there is a taking care of one another, there is actually more joy. When there is no need to compete, when there is no thought that somebody might wrong us, when there is none of those broken aspects of what we know so dearly about life, then the natural thing that comes is service. It is a joy to participate in God's kingdom uh, in this way. And I think what he is getting at here as he is outlining how these people respond to Jesus and in a way using them as an example is, is giving us kind of a tantalizing proposition. And that if these things are true, if the king is here in his power, if he is king over all things and all places, then we're kind of left to ask and look into our own hearts, what is holding us back? What are the things that have us in such a grip of captivity, of having to take care of ourselves, of having to be outdo one another? And what is the potential freedom that we could have in joining him in moving about his empire in service rather than self-centeredness. And this is the question I just want to leave us all with. I want to leave us to, to think about this, um, to think about who Jesus is, but to ask that question. What, what is holding you back? Where's the bitterness coming from? Where the hurt? How can Jesus step into that? And where's the freedom that can come as he enters into those things? And he extends his power on our behalf and serves us as the chief servant who came to heal and came to mend and came to renew as far as the curse is found. Uh, I want to invite us all to think about that this week. uh, And let's stop there and pray together. Father, your kingdom is here and it is here in power. And so often uh, we don't even recognize it. Uh, We don't pay attention It's like we don't even know it. Father, would you free us from ourselves? Would you open our eyes to the wonder of what you're offering us in Jesus and his kingdom? Would you make us new and give us joy that we might join with you um, in this movement of the gospel uh, that you have drawn us up into? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.